From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. The conversation continues with Brian McLean and Steve Hook at State of the Nation on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, welcome to State of the Nation uh, with Steve Hook and Brian McLean. I'm Steve Hook from uh, Central New Jersey, the Jersey Coast. My man Brian Hesher McLean is in Central Texas, and we welcome you to the program. Brian, hello. Good to see you again, my friend. Another big, big show on tap. We got a good one. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a great show. We got great guests lined up today. So much going on. We're going to talk to Major Glenn Ignazio and Mark Morano here in the first hour, our colleagues. So, yeah, we've got a lot to discuss. We're going to talk about some uh, some military tragedies. We're going to talk a little bit about the climate cult. So it's going to be a really fun show, Steve. Yeah, the climate cult. That's perfect. That's well stated because that's exactly what it is. Uh, by the way, I was mentioning this off air, but it's just so damn funny. This is one of, you know, sometimes it's really fun to watch. Like if you're perusing through your channels at like two in the morning, uh, you stop upon like the, uh, the the British Parliament or something and watch the way they conduct their business there. Uh, yeah. And sometimes it can get downright angry and testy. And uh, it's just it's just completely different here. Of course, in the United States, we have a nice collegiate way of getting along. Everybody's happy. Everybody's I jest, of course. But did you see this? This is absolutely wonderful. <laughs> if for no other reason than for sheer entertainment value, Republican Senator Mullen tells a union boss to stand your butt up. And as it almost comes to blow in a Senate hearing, Senator Mullen and Teamster President O'Brien almost went at it. And this is just so classic. I'm reading from foxnews.com. A Senate committee hearing appeared to be on the brink of a physical altercation Tuesday when Republican senators stood up and threatened to fight a labor leader as Senator Bernie Sanders, of all people, tried to make the peace, uh, tried to play the role of peacekeeper. And actually, Bernie was actually the only one that was really making any sense. They were obviously both infuriated with each other. But Bernie uh, tried to to tamp it all down. Uh, and Senator Mark Mark Wayne Mullen told Teamster President Sean O'Brien, sir, this is a time. This is a place you want to run your mouth. We can be two consenting adults and we can finish it right here, right now. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> apparently, the Teamster president, Sean O'Brien, had been running his mouth on social media about telling uh, Mullen to shut the hell up and whatever. And he's just a a, a bully or whatever. And uh, I don't think he said he was a bully, but he said something along those lines. So he said, stop playing the role of Mr. Tough Guy. Uh, and so then to uh, to that little taunt. The Teamster uh, boss says, oh, okay, that's fine. Perfect. And then Mullen says, you want to do it right now? He goes, I'd love to do it right now, said O'Brien. Well, stand your butt up then, said Mullen. No, you stand your butt up, big guy. (laughs) This is a Senate hearing, for God's sakes. Now, here's the real kick. It's a good thing, I would suspect, for for O'Brien, the Teamster leader, that Bernie was there. Because I don't know if he's aware of this. But Mullen was a former successful MMA fighter. So he is a bad boy, to be sure, and not one that you want to tick off. And if you see the video, Hesh, I don't know if you've seen it. I think Ruckus said he had seen it right before we came on the air. The guy is, he's got some guns on him. I mean, he's loaded. Whereas the union guy looks like a pudgy, bald, kind of out of shape, doughy, doughy guy. And Mullen looks like he's just ready to to lay waste and burn he's like hold on there you're a u.s senator for god's sake sit down (laughs) i love this story steve this is this is fantastic i'm I'm really glad you queued it up for me Uh, i'm looking at senator mullen right now and you don't i i would wager you don't want to cross this guy you don't want to meet him in a dark alley you don't want to go outside the bar with him to hash things out especially if you look like this o'brien character 
you got to wonder, like, uh, what fuels O'Brien, uh, you know, the Teamster President O'Brien? What, what fuels this guy? Does he think, does he really think he could take on Senator Mullen? Or uh, I don't know. I've heard stories about Teamsters before. Maybe he thinks uh, this will be taken <laughs> care of behind the scenes. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Well, you know, back in the days of Hoffa. But I, I, um, being in New Jersey, I've met a lot of these these union guys, and and, and by, by and large, most of them are very very cool dudes. I know a lot of guys in the Iron Workers Union, and they're all very very nice. But these these bosses, they are so tough. They are so, they, or they 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 portray, portray themselves as so tough. This guy was doing it, but uh, he, he was obviously doing it online to this Senator Mullen, saying uh, this guy needs to cut the tough guy act out. I don't know, man. I don't think it's much of an act when you look at that guy. He's uh he looks like he's uh as we say down south, a willy be badass. I would not want to mess with him. But anyway, that's that's my lead in story. I thought we'd get the show started on the right foot. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. I've been waiting for the day, Steve, when our Congress or Senate floor or one of these judiciary committees actually degrades into like a UK style. <laughs> fisticuffs moment i'm waiting for chairs to get thrown and all that stuff so we're getting a little bit closer that may be one of the entertaining factors about the demise of the united states of america when we finally get to see <laughs> senator mullen put someone in a chokehold on the floor yeah i can imagine maybe we put we we, we could put bernie in a uh in a ref's jersey and he could just he could just call call the fight you know Okay, each go to your neutral corners and uh, at the sound of the bell. <laughs> maybe this maybe this is leading toward the new way of uh, reconciling legislation and such on Capitol Hill. We could have a little bit more fun with it. I mean, they're already talking about making the rock president. Um, if there is not a more idiocracy idea than having Dwayne the Rock Johnson as president of the United States. Well, I don't know what it is, Steve. <laughs> You're not kidding. Hey, at TNT Radio, we never, ever go home. That's right. We're committed to bringing you our take on the biggest topics of our time. We broadcast live 24-7 online globally. No matter what, no matter where, we've got you covered on TNT Radio. Drilling down the details. I feel more informed when I listen. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, well, it's time to bring our man Ruckus into the party here. Uh, the massive fire that shut down a crucial section of a busy freeway in downtown L.A. apparently was caused by arson. Officials said Monday as they raced uh, to assess the extent of the damage and determining how long it would take to reopen. Here with the story, TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. Okay, Ruckus, so it looks like it was intentionally set fire, huh? Yeah, and it, it looks also it was started near a homeless encampment. Imagine that. Um, so, yeah, so there was already some speculation floating around, uh, but it's official, uh, according to the officials, officials, the state officials, that is, uh, who said on Monday that investigators have determined that arson caused the, it was a crazy fire. I don't know if y'all saw the video. Uh, this was over the weekend. It heavily damaged an elevated stretch of a downtown Los Angeles freeway, uh, the 10, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, this forced its indefinite closure and has now set the stage for prolonged traffic turmoil. The arson finding came as California Governor Gavin Newsom revealed that the state had recently sued to evict the company that was leasing storage space on state property beneath the Santa Monica freeway, Monica, excuse me, Santa Monica freeway, where the fire began early on Saturday. But the governor said nothing to suggest the arson investigation was related to the eviction action or to any of the lease violations alleged by the state. Then why even bring it up? Hmm? Anyway, Newsom and State Fire Marshal Daniel Berlant told reporters that investigators were still seeking to identify the person or persons who set the blaze, and they appealed for the public's help in identifying anyone responsible. Berlant said investigators, quote, have been able to confidently determine that the fire was caused by arson, end quote. He declined to give more details about how investigators reached their conclusion or about how precisely the fire was ignited. 
Now, this is a big deal. Some 300,000 vehicles ply the Santa Monica Freeway daily, with downtown L.A. often congested under normal circumstances, so that detours from the closure were expected to ripple out and compound heavy traffic across the metropolitan area. The closure, one of the area's worst transportation disruptions since the 1994 Northridge earthquake flattened two parts of the same freeway, was likely to last several days or longer, according to Mayor Karen Bass. Laura Rubio Corneo, general manager of the Transportation Department, said motorists largely seemed to be minding advisories, urging them to avoid downtown streets and to use public transit or work from home when possible. Rubio Corneo said, quote, decongestion was a little better than normal, end quote. Even so, roads in and around downtown were jam-packed on Monday, according to local media, and even minor traffic accidents could quickly trigger gridlock. The damaged section of freeway, also known as the East-West Interstate 10, or just the 10, was closed in both directions at a point between two other freeways vital to getting around Los Angeles, where traveling by car is the norm. Welcome to the new normal again. The flames, which damaged more than 100 support columns and the freeway deck spread through storage yards beneath the freeway overpass, filled with stacks of wood pallets, containers, and parked vehicles, according to authorities. Uh, So now the... uh, We all got to sit around and wait, the eternal wait, gentlemen, to see if they're going to repair it, rebuild it, what's going to happen, and how much is it going to cost? What do you all think? (laughs) I think it's going to cost a lot. And you know what? This is absolutely, this is deja vu all over again. The same exact thing happened in Atlanta back in 2017. Uh, It happened on I-85 underneath an overpass. It was a homeless encampment. Um, The guy was trying to start a fire to stay warm. There were stacks and stacks of pallets, just like this scenario. They caught on fire. I don't know if you remember this fire, but it was a huge one. And it shut down that over that, that overpass, which in turn, I-85 is an east-west uh, highway. That So if you're, if you're commuting to Atlanta from, say, old Douglasville or Carrollton, and those folks that are familiar with Georgia, you know where I'm at. You've got to go through there. You've got to go around there. Uh, or find an alternate route, which is exactly what folks had to do, and it was a complete mess. And it just goes to the uh, to the point: you shouldn't let a bunch of homeless folks live underneath an overpass. Um, there's another reminder of that. What do you think, Ash? Yeah, uh, I'm pretty familiar with this location. Uh, when the ten is closed down like this, it is a massive, massive headache for the Angelinos, unfortunately, and. Um, you know, th- to have that many cars, uh, 300,000 cars per day going over that section, having that closed, you can expect some gridlocks. So if you're out there listening in Los Angeles, give us a call. We got the open line open. If you want to call in and give us a road report, we'd love to hear it. I'm also <laughs> curious, a uh, hundred columns damaged. Okay. Nine or 10 severely as uh gruesome nuisance gavin the newson newsome said so um i wouldn't want i would not feel comfortable driving over that if if they uh do a quick fix on it say they fix you know replace maybe 10 of the 100 columns i don't know it does not sound good to me i think they should probably have to rebuild it but you know i'm not an engineer i don't know (laughs) but this will definitely definitely disrupt traffic in los angeles in a major way for sure and like you pointed out ruckus just a normal uh you know fender bender or crash if that happens on the five or the 405 oh boy it's gonna be a long commute day in los angeles yeah that would well the good news is if we're looking for a silver lining and you guys know me i always look for the silver lining a lot of people are leaving California. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so, so maybe that's good. But yeah, you uh, got, I hope you, they you know, like 450,000 less people in the state. The big question is how many were from L.A. and how many drove the 10, though? Mm, good point. Good point. Yeah, the 10. I mean, listen, I don't live anywhere near it. And I know that that highway is an absolute nightmare. So uh, there you go. Anyway, thank yeah, you. It's, it might. It might not take as long to fix it as you guys think. There are ways to encourage the work to get done quicker in case you didn't know. 
Yeah, you could always see you could just schedule a very important meeting with a, a communist uh, leader uh, nearby and they'll get it fixed real quick. Uh, but all kidding aside, seriously, uh, Newsom actually already on Sunday proclaimed a state of emergency in order to expedite repairs. So hopefully that will help. I'm not sure how much, but check this out. After that other incident, the Northridge quake, the freeway was reopened in three months, which was 74 days sooner than planned. It, that the reason is because apparently they offered the contractor a two hundred thousand dollar bonus for every day that the work was finished ahead of schedule, uh, and Newsom said similar incentives are already being considered for this project. So uh, we can get it done really quick, but it's going to cost you. Uh, <laughs> typical Gavin Newsom there. Declare an emergency, write a bunch of checks, make sure they go to the people that support you. Boom. Self-licking ice cream cone in California. That's my prediction here. We'll see who gets the contract. We'll see how fast it happens. And there you go. All right, Ruckus, thanks for joining us. That one is one we're going to have to check back in on real soon, see when they got a plan. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk TNT Radio. You should hear what Ross Cameron is talking about. I see there's a new trend taking place, sweeping uh, the internet of what they're calling sort of technology naked walks, where you go for a walk without your iPhone, without uh, a headset, and just alone with your thoughts. Apparently some people are finding it quite emotionally taxing, but subsequently liberating. Certainly, I find if I get into a motor vehicle with a teenager, it's a matter of seconds uh, before there is a request for uh, usually the latest uh, Taylor Swift song or some other form of electronic stimulus. We are generation apparently trained uh, for a very short concentration span and a desperate need for um, digital company. Ross Cameron on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. A better business tip from TNT radio one reason people tune in to tnt radio is often because they're loyal to a specific show or personality our personalities have been a part of people's daily routine and people continue to tune in they trust tnt radio and are highly engaged with the content if you'd like more information about advertising on tnt radio simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch to find out more, go to TNTradio.live. Not the station for people who label truth as misinformation just because they don't like it. For facts and truth. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, um, about a, a few days ago, we heard about this tragedy that happened in the uh, Mediterranean. Five U.S. military special ops troops were killed in a refueling accident uh, caused when a helicopter carrying these guys uh, well, it crashed into the Mediterranean Sea and they were all lost. It's an absolute tragedy. We hear about this kind of thing every now and again. This is just one more of the risk of being in the uh, in the armed services, even if you're not in combat. Joining us to discuss this and everything else, uh, Major Glenn Ignazio. Uh, Major, first of all, a belated happy Veterans Day to you, sir. Thank you for joining uh, State of the Nation. Uh, and you've been on one of these types of choppers, I assume. You've probably been through this exact procedure, I'd assume. Why don't you walk us through it and tell us what you think happened here? Sure, absolutely. First of all, thank you for the uh, Veterans Day note. Appreciate it for myself and many of us. So, yes, this uh, this mission is uh, pretty interesting. It's only uh, focused on mainly Air Force Special Operations Command and the Army's 160th SOAR, which is the Special Operations Aviation Regiment. Those are the force. Those are the folks that take care of the Special Forces teams and also the Delta teams that you are familiar with uh, within the Army. We, I, I was in Air Force Special Operations Command, so my job was to actually you know, put the troops in and get them out, the teams in and air refuel these helicopters. So what they were doing is basically the thing that I did. So what happens is uh, a lot of times our training is done at night underneath night vision. And what they do is they fly formation off of a specialized special mission C-130 or an MC-130. And what they do is they have a probe on their helicopter and they plug in to a hose that is tracking out there in the slipstream and they plug in and that's how we pass fuel. That's how they're able to prosecute incredibly long range missions from a helicopter. And the 160th SOAR, Night Stalkers, was this actual team in this unit and they are the best in the military. They're fantastic crews. Yeah, it's really a, it's a tragedy. Even the best of the best can be struck by just dumb luck. Um 
I, I'm, you know, I'm trying to picture this and we've all seen these videos where they do this. It's almost like a snorkel on one end hooking into a hose on the other end. And you watch that. And every time I watch it, I'm like, good God, the precision involved in that. Uh, these, uh, you know, all these guys, I've, I've got balls of steel, but those guys flying that chopper and flying the C-130, they got to be just sitting on, I mean, just they got to be tightened up when they're doing that. What do you think could have happened here? Was it like a gust of wind? I mean, I mean, I guess there's any number of things that could have happened, but the, the DOD hasn't released anything. What do you suspect, Major? Yeah, so to be as best as possible, I mean, there, there's so many things you can speculate on. But but first of all is, you know, we've done this this mission through Iraq, Afghanistan. I mean, this was my mission. So weather and so forth like that, like gusts of wind and everything, wouldn't take an aircraft out. You know, we do this in bad weather. We do this at night. We do this in low altitude. The whole mission itself to air refuel a helicopter in flight is extremely dangerous. You know, the MC-130 is flying as slow as possible. The, the, the helicopter is flying as fast as possible. So the only thing that I've heard, again, to not speculate into you know things that are they're not real was that there was an aircraft malfunction now what that malfunction could be is questionable i mean in the past sometimes rotor blades have actually cut that hose and they flew and everything was fine uh you know emergency situation but that didn't take them out of the air one of the things that would take them out of the air is if there's something that happens to the aircraft where say an engine fails or something catastrophic with the tail rotor Something like that would take them completely out of the air, and and I'm I'm leaning that as probably something more in the lines of that. Uh, spatial disorientation, which is trying to figure out which way is up and down, is troubling at this time of flight at night. If they were doing it at night, but they had multiple, they had two pilots on board, and they won. We we cross check each other to make sure that doesn't happen. So I really think that it's a mechanical failure. They were definitely not taken out by any kind of combat operation. So unfortunately, I think that's the case. And and again, that's the best uh, to my ability I could forecast. That's and, uh, that's just so tragic. Yeah, that that's just terrible. You know, I feel really bad that this has happened. It's always a shot to us when we see things like this. Um, what do you think? Like, is there is there what happens when you lose the helicopter? Is the is the refueling jet in jeopardy as well? Or I mean, that that must just be. I can't even imagine the the guys on the refueling jet as they see this happening. Is there? anything they can do in a situation like that and are they in danger too yeah um there are things that we can do uh like i said this is the mission know it really well so a lot of times if there's something that's happening and an aircraft is having a problem like the helicopter will initiate what's called a breakaway that is to separate the aircraft as quickly as possible which is more likely happen unless it was something that was very catastrophic so that is one thing it'll disconnect that that hose has got some tension on it but it's not like they're going to pull the the mc-130 out of the air but That'll happen and that say that's what the situation was with the helicopter. With the MC-130 uh, and HC-130, there's two versions that can do this. Uh, what we would do at that point is pull the hoses in and we have prepared on the back of the aircraft these, these rescue kits, especially if we're over water that we would actually deploy immediately and we can put those rafts and so forth in the water and make sure that everything is there and we would then pull in other forces accordingly to get to those true to get to the crew as soon as possible so that mc-130 has a tremendous amount of resources and personnel on board to support the team if necessary uh, unfortunately doesn't have the ability to get the team out of the water they'd have to look at another helicopter for that but at least provide as much support the hard part is if they were at some altitude and the crash was very catastrophic no matter what you do the individuals are unfortunately lost so it's very difficult for that to happen you know yeah, that's exactly what I was just wondering. What altitude do we suspect that this happened at? Because it's one thing you see see the thing just kind of wind down into the drink if they're only about, you know, 1,500 feet up or so, perhaps, you know, by the time they hit uh, hit the water, that they, they can get themselves out and get, uh, you know, another helicopter come come rescue them from, from the water. But perhaps it was way, way higher than that, huh? Is that what it sounds like to you, Major? Oh, this would definitely be uh, for for what we do when we're dealing with the, you know the helicopters. And again, this is all special operations. Again, that this is the world and uh, that that we operate in extremely dangerous. And and everything we train like we fight, fight like we train. And so we would be very low altitude. I mean, we go to five hundred feet above the water level uh, or wow. ground level. 
Uh, we even have gone lower than that in combat operations. We'll, we'll even go down much lower than that. And it's very dangerous, but that's what the mission or what we say the threat dictates. So we're going to practice low altitude like that because that's the way it's going to be in combat. So it's not a surprise that they would be 500 feet above the waterline. I've done it, I don't know, hundreds of times in my career. And that's what you make second nature. It's not, it, it would surprising for people to hear. But for us, it becomes second nature where it's no difference if it's, say, two, you know, 300 feet to 3,000 feet. So that's that's probably what they were doing was low level. But, you know, you're flying about 125 knots uh, at that air refueling speed. That's usually the speed we fly at. So, like I said, I don't know what happened to the helicopter, but, you know, helicopters don't have a tendency of gliding very well. So it's 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 not a good good situation, you know. Yeah, kind of like controlled falling. Uh, flying a helicopter yeah. is sort yeah. of a controlled fall. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I'm curious, and we're going to take a headline, so uh, hold your answer to this one. But I'm curious, on the other side of this headline, <clears throat> um, do we know uh, where these came from? Were they were they on the US, uh, USS Gerald R. Ford aircraft carrier or the other one that is in the um, Mediterranean right now? So uh, we'll take your answer to that after this brief headline with today's News Talk TNT Radio. Hey, hey, what are you guys doing? Uh, we're breaking news. Oh, okay, carry on. TNT Radio News. TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. The Israeli military shared video and photographs on Monday showing what it said were weapons stored by the Hamas terrorist group in the basement of a children's hospital in Gaza where it also said hostages appear to have been held. A Canadian peace activist believed to have been taken hostage during the Hamas attack in Israel five weeks ago is dead, her son says. Vivian Silver's son Chen Zegan says Israeli authorities told him the remains of the 74-year-old woman had earlier been found in the kibbutz where she lived, but were only identified now. The common housefly, caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNT Radio. Live. U.S. Air Force retired Major Glenn Ignacio is our guest. Uh, Major, what do you think, uh, you know, that we've got a couple of, we've got uh groups right we've got carrier groups out there right now we've got the ford and uh the eisenhower out there along with um supporting ships and lots of aircraft i assume uh do we know the origin of of this this helicopter was it on one of those or do we know so it was off the coast of cyprus uh i don't think we specifically know the helicopter but um let's assume this so there's an airstrip uh got my pronunciation it's Aquatoria, i think is the the uh, the base that we work out of out of cyprus and so the the mc or the ac-130 again air force is going to be tied to a land-based uh, uh runway probably in cyprus however the the night stalkers operate from you know ground-based which would be cyprus or they could be working off of a ship uh it just really depends what special forces team that they're supporting if they're supporting seals they'll be on the carrier group if they're supporting Delta or something else, it could be on the carrier group or on the ground. So it's really in question because a lot of times a helicopter may only have a range of 130 nautical miles. Well, I've done rescues out in the Pacific Ocean, 600 plus nautical miles out because of this refueling that we do takes them as far as you need to go. So we don't have the specifics on that, but they were right off the coast of Cyprus. So it's it's minimal range as far as where it's at. I just can't give you a positive answer right now because I, I do not know. Yeah. yeah yeah understandable i mean obviously we're uh we're moving special forces around and that's a very uh critical mission um do you know like is there are do we have any confirmation that special operation forces are operating in the conflict zone at this point or do you think this is sort of you know um like they said you know uh, show of force sort of uh, you know peacekeeping mission like do we know um, anything about that at this point or is that still sort of a need to know for military personnel well i'm sure there's a bunch of classified stuff going on but uh, let me maybe give you my my insight to this is if if our if our special forces teams u.s teams are within gaza and something was to occur where they took out somebody, if it was Hamas or Palestinian or whatever, think about the international impact to that. So could they be advising some of the Israeli teams? 
possible. But let's look at the other aspect of it. Uh, so any kind of personnel recovery, which I mean, we're talking about rescues, hostage, and so forth. That's that's the Delta teams, or also they're called CAG, Combat Applications Group, or that's DevGrew or SEAL Team 6 that everybody knows about. That's their specialties. So if there's going to be direct uh, ability to get Americans out, it, it may be. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a possibility, but I think the international implication of if an American took out somebody in Gaza might be too big. So what we do know now, this is a uh, I give it to you straight. I've always given you straight as far as the political. I'll call anybody a, a jerk. It doesn't matter what party they're in is the wonderful Biden community uh, when they were when Biden did visit Israel took a picture and without clearing it through DOD, their PR put out there of President Biden shaking the hands of some of our Delta Force operators. And the worst part is their faces and everything were compromised, which means those Delta Force operators may not even be able to continue in their mission in their career field from this point on. So to say that our special forces are there, yes, they are, because the White House took open photos without editing, really pissed us off of Delta Force operators that were there pretty much probably advising the Israelis on exactly this type of mission. Uh, so, yes, they are present in the region. Are they present in Gaza? I don't know. But, uh, yes, they are in the region. And uh, the White House definitely confirmed that. Sorry, oh, that I didn't touch on a bit, as you can what tell. What a fail. That was such a big I fail. Mean, I remember when that happened. I mean, how much money do you does the RDOD put into a Delta Force operator? And what a, what? how big of a loss is it to lose three or however many they had in that photo, have to remove them from the region because of such a massive mistake. Yeah, well, first of all, it just doesn't affect them. It affects their families. I mean, I, I had a compromise of classified of things I've done, and my family was followed. It, it's it's not good. And these guys are really at the tip of the spears. So they look at it for themselves and, and as for their family as, as well. So the other thing is, is, you know, you're talking about years and years of training to become this refined. You know, for example, I can give you the, the, the data for me for flying just becoming a pilot. It's a million bucks. To become a special operations pilot, that's another year of training that's close to $2 million alone. When you talk about somebody who's in the special forces community or SOCOM community from SEALs to combat controllers, whoever, you're talking about extremely seasoned four or six plus years of service and all the shooting, training, skydiving, scuba diving. It is much more than that, but it's really innate as far as the capabilities of the human that is behind the trigger. And that is just not replaceable. That's years of experience that these these folks are now facing. What can they do because of that screw up? Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. It's, it's one thing to talk about how much money goes into training these guys. The money is easy, apparently, this day and age. The money is, grows on trees, apparently. We're spending as, as fast as we can get it, and, and in some cases, even faster. But finding these kinds of guys, that's the real treasure, isn't it? I mean, and when I mean, I just... I remember when this happened, too, and it's just an absolute you just shake your head and go, for God's sakes, what else could go wrong? Uh, and then we get a picture of all of our special ops on the cover of The Washington Post or The New York Times or whatever. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Let me ask you this, Major, before we let you go, um, kind of in keeping with this very topic we're discussing now. And I know you don't want to speak too on the record to this, but you can kind of give us a general sense. Uh, what is the general sense of uh, the men and women serving in the long in the armed for, uh, forces right now with regards to their commander in chief? Anything? I mean, there is there are some aspects where we're slightly insulated from the commander in chief from hierarchy. But the, the question is, is when you look at it. OK, so say say I was back in uniform. Uh, this is exactly how I would look at it, I think is the best way to represent it, is I would wonder what is the confidence of our senior leadership and the things that would be was one as far as the faculties of how his capabilities are, but also let's look at the history of things. Okay, so on the outside of uniform, I, I was in Afghanistan getting people out. What a debacle. Take ownership, leadership 101. You see all these particular things. You see the screw up of what we were just talking about with our special operators in Israel upon mistake, upon mistake, upon mistake. And we haven't seen anybody take ownership of that. That's the biggest thing that we're taught right off the get-go is take ownership, fail forward, learn what to do and press on. So that's, that's a question from the leadership, but we'll always shut up because that's insubordination. The other thing yeah. is, is I think you see the folks that are on the tip of the spear, the ones that are in the fighters, the ones that are in special operations, all these, they're very focused and we're focused on the mission. And honestly, we put politics behind us, but the support and everybody else, 
I really question because those are where a lot of those things that are becoming more social and woke, I think that affects those individuals more. Uh, that's a concern, but I know a tremendous and a lot of people that are getting off active duty and the recruiting numbers are down. So I know that's a lot of information to digest, but we've got some issues and we need to really fix some things quickly and stop talking about it. So that's my two cents. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and in our final minute, sir, uh, do you think we can recover our recruiting numbers at this point? We've had so many debacles. I mean, the, the whole that COVID vaccine thing really turned a lot of people off. People saw some of their brothers and sisters actually get kicked out over that. And then there's all the woke stuff you're mentioning for our, our final minute here. Um, do you think we can recover and get back to the military that we used to have? Let's say we won't recover. Uh, I believe we will. The The question that's most dangerous is how long and when. You know, we, we always focused on quality, not quantity, but there are numbers that need to be met. And it's simple as this is it doesn't matter if you're male, female, it doesn't matter what gender, anything or you are. The mission dictates the requirements and we're changing the requirements to meet the public. And that's what becomes dangerous because it's our warfighting capability is the mission dictates the requirements, not gender, not race, not color, not creed. That's the thing we got away from. And hopefully we can get back to that. So I think it's going to take time, but we've done it before. All right. Well, that's heartening, Steve, don't you think? I mean, maybe we can recover from this. It certainly does look bad in the recruiting sense. And uh, what a tragedy. Thank you for helping us break this down. Major Glenn. Ignacio, we will look forward to having you back with us on State of the Nation at TNT Radio again real soon. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Children, children, settle down. No more Trump chants. We really, really want to hear from these candidates on the stage, and they worked really hard for us tonight. Children, Settle down. Last night's third Republican debacle proved in large part by the performance of Vivek Ramaswamy just how irrelevant these so-called Republican debates are. Vivek took the GOP and the moderators hard into the corner before boarding them. He called out Ronna McDaniel for her consistent track record of failure and offered to give her his time so that she could come to the stage and resign. And then he said to the moderators that they should be replaced by Joe Rogan, Tucker Carlson, and Elon Musk. But his best line of the night was saying, if you want to elect Dick Cheney in three-inch heels, we've got two on stage tonight, referring to Nikki Haley and Ron disappoints us. Nicely played, Vivek. I see what you did there. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out, because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear, because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> do you get it? Yes, good job. So, what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. See, Smokey thinks I'm funny. Interviews, news, and views. You're listening to State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. The religious left has become an invaluable ally to the global cabal, to the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, and the World Health Organization in pushing the man-made climate change narrative. But now the cabal, which includes many leaders of the Catholic Church, you may be surprised to hear, is being challenged. Mark Morano is the executive editor and chief correspondent for the Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow's award-winning ClimateDepot.com and host of the Mark Morano Show right here on TNT. Mark, it's great to have you with us. Uh, tell us what's going on here and what's with the Catholic Church being involved in this climate cult? Well, unfortunately, the Catholic Church has been involved since 2015 when Pope Francis literally reversed the previous two popes' decisions not to take a stand. In fact, they did take a stand. Pope Benedict uh, basically ridiculed climate change and said it was a doomsday cult. Pope John Paul had climate summits, but he included many climate skeptical scientists. So Pope Francis came in, and I think he comes in from a South American poverty perspective from a Jesuit, and he's very into the global warming solutions more than the science. He goes into the science, he distorts that as well, but he loves the idea 
of redistribution of wealth, socialism. And I think they had him at the solutions uh, of, the, of the United Nations agenda. So in 2015, he joined forces with the United Nations. I call it the unholy alliance because he joined forces with all these UN advisors and UN activists who were diametrically opposed to everything in Catholic teaching from abortion, birth control, contraception, population control, on down the list of all these different issues. But he threw all that aside and said, hey, we can form an alliance on climate change. So he invited the UN. The UN Secretary General was in the Vatican. I attended this conference in Rome. I started asking skeptical questions. I was immediately shut down by UN security in the Vatican. They had taken over for Vatican security, and they threatened to have me removed forcibly from the conference if I asked any hostile questions to the UN Secretary General. And this continued, and then the Pope updated this year his encyclical, and he's trying to make the Catholic Church go all in on the UN agenda. It's even worse. You have the U.S. Catholic Conference of Bishops now trying to take a stand in alignment with the Pope. The Pope is literally turning into a UN climate activist. He's going to attend in Dubai. He's planning on it. He's urging the world to pass a new UN climate treaty. This is very devastating uh, for one of the world's major religions to get involved in this you and to choose a side that is anti-human like this, because the UN agenda is all about crushing the billions of people who don't have adequate energy, paying their leaders to keep them locked in poverty through this UN climate slush fund. Oh, my gosh. It's, uh, hi, Mark. Steve Hook here, man. Good to hear from you. <laughs> hey, Steve. Good to hear you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think we've... Uh... I think we've got the first communist pope. I mean, listen, I'm Presbyterian <laughs> and, and, and I don't want to tick any Catholics off. But I mean, even this week, uh, Pope Francis is coming out telling uh, telling various uh, dioceses around the globe that, hey, listen, if you want to marry a woman to a woman and a man to a man, go for it. Um, doesn't seem to be in keeping with Catholic teaching. But then again, I'm a layman. So what do I know? But this <laughs> AGW cult is 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 really scary. And you kind of touched on it. Th th there's no science to back this up. This is this is not science. This is. Uh, this is uh, this is emotionism, emotionalism, isn't it? It is. And to prove our point with the coalition here today, which was formed by church militant uh, and other Catholic conservatives, we brought in Nobel Prize winning scientist, Dr. John Clauser. This man just won the Nobel Prize in 2022. And for the first time ever in the U.S., he spoke at our conference today about what the Pope is claiming about the state of climate science. And he opened with this line. I think you'll appreciate this. Quote, as much as it may upset many people, my message is the planet is not in peril. This is good news. I believe there's no climate crisis. And that's how he opened it up. And now, of course, that's bad news to the Pope. It's bad news to Greta Thunberg. It's bad news to the United Nations. But people don't want to hear the good news. So we have a Nobel Prize winning scientist. And by the way, he said he went to the White House last year when he won the Nobel Prize. Biden invited all the Nobel laureates. He had a one on one meeting with Joe Biden in the Oval Office. Joe Biden asked him about climate change and he told Joe Biden he disagreed with his climate change views. And Joe Biden got up in a gruff away and said he was practicing, quote, right wing science, unquote. So Joe Biden smeared a Nobel laureate on his way to Sweden to pick up the Nobel Prize in physics, not peace like like the U.N. and Al Gore won for 20 years ago. But this is an actual Nobel Prize winning scientist. He accused him of practicing right wing science because he didn't agree with the U.N. on climate change. Oh, my gosh. Right wing science. What what is right that? Science. I've never even heard of right-wing science. I've heard of the science, and the science is settled, and trust the science, and safe and effective and necessary, but right-wing science is a little bit out of the blue for me, Mark. It is. I mean, it's a new phrase to me, too. Uh, but he went through the entire climate agenda from the climate models to sensitivity of CO2. He literally laid waste. So we did that talk. And then I did a talk showing how all the and we had the, we had major we had the New York Times here, the Washington Post, which did an interview with the, the Nobel Prize winning scientist, very interested in his climate views. And I actually told the organizers, we can't leave him alone in a room with the Washington Post reporter because, A, they can't be trusted. They might, who knows? They might claim he said something uh, racist and try to cancel him. I don't know what it was. 
but we had someone online and they seemed very interested and they were interested in the Biden story too. But uh, it's, it's insane. And, and I'm going off to Dubai in two and a half weeks for a whole week. I decided to go to the Middle East. I thought it was a good time to take a vacation, but I'm going to Dubai, which has been billed to Las Vegas and the Middle East for this UN climate summit. So King Charles is supposed to be there. Pope Francis, usually Harrison Ford attends, Al Gore, Jeff Bezos, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Greta may show up, but she's now so radical that she attacks the UN for not being strong enough in uh, advocacy of climate. She's like, uh, and of course, she's all she's become uh, just completely uh, almost unhinged these days. If you watch some of her stuff, getting arrested weekly. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, you shower that kind of praise and power onto a 13 year old yes. girl. I mean, that's like a uh, Swifty on steroids. Are you kidding me? Of course she's uh, <laughs> she's drunk with power. Um, yeah. I, you know, I'd kill for a Nobel Peace Prize, but that's just me. Um, well, I, Mark, just keep in mind, though, that he, this is a Nobel uh, Prize winning scientist. The U.N. and Al Gore won the Nobel Peace Prize for politics. Yeah. Just to make that distinction. This we actually had the Nobel Prize winning scientist here in quantum physics. Uh, and this guy's he worked with uh, at uh, Columbia University and he knows all these global warming activists like James Hansen, who ran the NASA division. So he's got a lot of stories and uh, fascinating guy. And I'm just so grateful that he's speaking out now that he's retired. Yeah. Now that he's retired is the operative word yeah. there, though, Mark, isn't it? Yes. Is, he is, talks is, about is, his is, colleagues. His colleagues tell him they can't say anything or they'd be fired. He openly talks about that. They can't, they're praising him because he can speak freely, though. Well, you know, you only get the science you're willing to pay for, I guess. Um, I'm wondering, right. Mark, uh, is there a Nobel Prize for right-wing science and left-wing science? <laughs> That's a great question. I don't know. <laughs> but this guy is clearly not a right-winger either. I mean, he's you know he's been part of the establishment, but it's just funny. Any dissent. I remember one time I interviewed uh, the former governor of California, Jerry Brown. It was at the 2002 South African Earth Summit. I actually went for two weeks, spent two weeks in South Africa for this UN summit. And I interviewed him and got into a hostile debate over climate policy and how it was harming the poor. And in the middle of the debate, he looks at me and says, are you with Lyndon LaRouche? Kind of like implying, like, if you disagree with me, you must be in some kind of, you know, a, a cult or some weirdo. But that's what happens. If you do any kind of disagreement, they literally try to label you, dismiss you, defund, cancel you. And this actually happened. He talked about the International Monetary Fund, the Nobel Prize winning scientist, John Clauser, at this event was scheduled to give a climate talk at the International Monetary Fund when they got wind that he called climate change a, quote, pseudoscience. Guess what happened to his big talk at the International Monetary Fund? Promptly canceled by the higher ups. And it never has been rescheduled. That was four months ago. Yeah. Well, I remember when billions that of dollars at stake. Yeah, yes. absolutely. So he's he's really sort of uh, causing a problem for the climate cult right now, which we obviously appreciate you do the same thing over at Climate Depot and with your journalism and activism. Now, I noticed that um, you were going to be talking today about the intentional collapse of our energy. Uh, yes. You were going to be talking about transportation and food supply. How did that go? And and what's your main message? I there? gave I gave like a half hour speech. And what, I'm, what my message was, this is not the climate change of your parents' generation, not of, of even a decade ago. It used to be about cap and trade and carbon taxes and, uh, oh, we should put some money towards solar. No, all out the window. This is evil what's happened. Since COVID in March of 2020, they now know that they can bypass democracy using corporate government collusion and executive power to literally impose what they could never get through democracy. They have banned gas-powered cars without a single vote anywhere, including in California, the epicenter of this. They've done it through executive branch, through the EPA, through executive orders, through unelected bureaucrats, and through corporate government collusion. They're now going after restricting meat eating, collapsing high-yield agriculture. They're continuing the collapse of energy, and that was sold to us as a bill of goods full of lies. Solar and wind will be cheaper, and we'll be powering the economy. None of that happened. In fact, all the offshore wind is collapsing despite hundreds of trillions, of, uh, despite hundreds of billions in subsidies and eventually trillions over decades that can't make green energy work. It's still, you go back 100 years, 80% of the world powered by fossil fuels, 
Go to today, 80% of the world powered by fossil fuels. What's the difference? Trillions spent on trying to make solar and wind replace coal, oil, gas. Hasn't happened. They're not going to give up trying. They want to create a world of rationing. They want to create a world of travel restrictions. They're working on collapsing airlines now. Major reports coming out of Europe calling for the end of closing of airports. That France has already banned flights of two and a half hours or less, forcing people to cars and buses and mass transit. This is a frightening world in which we live, and they're not asking for a vote of Congress or the EU Parliament. They're just doing it through court orders, through executive branch, through all these international organizations. And of course, looming on all of this is the pandemic treaty coming from the World Health Organization. The World Health Organization says climate change is the existential threat of the 21st century and that climate change is a part of public health. So unchecked climate change leads to more COVID. Ergo, if you don't support the Green New Deal and the UN Climate Agreement, you're a grandma killer. God almighty. That is just so disgusting. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mark, terrible. I mean, beyond this, beyond this now retired Nobel Prize winner that's now willing to come out because I guess he doesn't need the government grants anymore. He doesn't really give a damn who he pisses off. Um, beyond him, is there any chance of any of this stuff being rolled back? Will public outrage uh, and the public sentiment in the States or maybe even in parts of Europe roll any of this back? Or are we fighting? Are, are we like the Dutch boy with the finger in the dike, just hoping that we can stop the, the, the coming flood of uh, Marxist control of everything? Well, a couple of things. There's two ways you can fight it. You can do it the way Sri Lanka did. They went along with it all the way. No resistance. They went all organic. They banned all modern agriculture. They went full great reset and green agenda. And the entire country collapsed. They had starvation. They had angry residents so upset they overran the presidential palace. And the uh, president of Sri Lanka was forced to flee the country. That's one way of red pilling the population. Okay, so we could do that. The other way is what happened in the Netherlands. You had the farmers facing 12,000 family-run generational-owned farms shutting down to be replaced by either strip malls or Chinese or corporate equity-owned asset or billionaire-owned farms. And they decided to form their own political party. And they took their tractors and shut down parts of the Netherlands. And they won a recent spate of elections. They're now part of the governing coalition. And they're actually trying to fight all this now in the courts and the legislators. So that's another way to do it, is to stand up and fight. Uh, I think America has to be woken up before we can prevent it. It's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Their intentional goal is to restrict our freedom of movement. Uh, they want to ban gas-powered cars. This is going to turn into a Cuba situation where we're going to have vehicle rationing, but that's exactly what they want. They want to force us into mass transit. And by the way, if there's another, another COVID-like virus, they're going to force us to mask up, vax up, or you won't even be able to drive uh, the public transit. And I also pointed out that there's a whole movement to abolish private car ownership. Uh, Boris Johnson, the UK Prime Minister of Transportation Secretary, said publicly that we need to uh, owning a car is outdated 20th century thinking. And the World Economic wow. Forum has called for an end to private car ownership. They want us to be within 15 minute cities, everything at our fingertips. In, in other words, 15 minute prisons. Right, right. Well, you just outlined the uh, dystopia right there, Mark. That is what we're up against. That is exactly what we're up against, and that is why globalism sucks. Globalism yeah, wants yeah. that, and the only way Americans will accept it, unfortunately, is probably by experiencing austerity. Let's hope that doesn't have to happen. Uh, Mark, thanks for joining us. Check out the Mark Morano Show right here on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. We'll have you back on again real soon. Thanks for all the great work you're doing and bringing it to us here on State of the Nation at TNT Radio.